uh, 6 and 7. So Isaiah chapters 9, verses 6 through 7. And if you do not mind, would you care to stand one more time for the honor of reading God's word together? It is recorded, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let us pray this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we have just read your word, and we ask that you'll be with us in the teaching of this text. Allow this text to be illuminated to our minds and allow us to understand exactly that this text is speaking concerning your son, who is the child that is born, who is a son that has been given to us for our redemption. Father, we ask that you'll be with all those who are hurting within our congregation, and not just within our own congregation, but within our community in the world, that if they are seeking peace, may you draw them to you, because it's only through you that true peace will be found. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. During this time of the year, we are celebrating a time of joy. Uh, there, we have spent countless hours sopping for others with joy and glee. We sing here Sunday morning for the last month of the birth of Jesus. We have a lot to celebrate, and this passage leads us to the real reason for Christmas, and that is Jesus Christ. Because in this passage, we see that God has given us a Savior, that God has given us exactly what we need, not what we want, but what we need, and that is he has given us himself. Long ago, there um, ruled in Persia a king, a good and wise king. Well, he loved his people so constantly, he would dress as a beggar or a poor worker, and he would go and mingle with his people. One day, he found an old, decrepit man who lived in a cellar, and he went down there and ate the coarse food that that man ate. He lived with that man for the day. And left. A few days later, the king stopped back by and told that man, I am your king. And the king, thinking that this man would ask for riches or any other thing, but the man responded, You have come to me. Other people you have given riches and wealth, but to me you have given me yourself. And this morning, We'll see this in this text, that Jesus Christ is just like that king because Jesus Christ has given us himself. This morning, I want to give you two marks, two ways that we identify that this passage speaks of Jesus. Notice with me the first thing 
that this passage speaks of Jesus is that it identifies how the Savior is described. Notice with me in verse 6. First we see, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The first thing that jumps out to us as Christians, as believers, is we see that Isaiah sees that unto us a child is born. During this time of the year, we celebrate that. We celebrate the birth of a child in a manger. That as I spoke a few weeks ago in the opening to the call of worship, of that Jesus was born in a manger as a humility, as a sign of humility. But his humility led him to the cross. And we see this, that the God, the infinite God, has become a mere child. The God who has all glory has now come as a child. Has now come to have somebody have to take care of him till he is raised. And this is the God of glory who has done this for you and I. But notice, Isaiah does not just leave with a child is born. But notice what else he says. Unto us a son is what? Given. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten son. Isaiah sees a son is given. That's enough for us to say amen right there. Because we see that Isaiah is prophesying about the birth of Jesus and that Jesus is in fact that son that is given. But here in verse 6, we see there are four ways that Jesus is described. First notice with me, he is described as wonderful counselor. This word wonderful means supernatural. That Jesus is supernatural because he is God. He's, part, he's not part God and not part man. He's 100% God and 100% man, unified in one person. And we see that he is supernatural. When he's speaking, the crowd were astonished because never has anyone spoken with such authority as this man we read in the gospel accounts and we see his parables and the, the amount of wisdom that he shares in those. And we rejoice because he is a supernatural counselor. But today, as, as we think of a counselor, what does a counselor do? They're there for us to lead us through life's difficulties. And here we see that this child who is born, this son that is given, is here for us. A month ago I spoke on Psalms 23 and how the shepherd leads us. Bible speaks to Jesus. The Bible points us to Christ. And here we see this, that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. 
that he is the son given. To give you some background of when Isaiah is speaking here, in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, we see that he's speaking to King Ahaz. They're in the fuller's field, and Jerusalem is about to be attacked, and Isaiah is told by God, go to King Ahaz and tell Ahaz to ask God for a sign. Isaiah goes to King Ahaz and tells Ahaz exactly what God has told him. But Ahaz, in his stubbornness and his rebellion, said, I don't need to ask God. But God is merciful because God said, fine, I will still give him a sign, and this is a sign. Listen, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. King Ahaz was unwise. He did not have that supernatural wisdom that Christ has. He was foolish. He rejected God. But God still is merciful and said, I will still provide. We see that even in the beginning with the fall of man. Adam and Eve chose rebellion. They willfully chose to reject God. But God still chose mercy and grace over judgment because he still provided a sacrifice for them. And he promised that through Eve that there will come a Redeemer who will save men's souls. God is a provider. He's that wonderful counselor. But notice also that we see He's mighty God. This is the second name that, that describes who Jesus is. He's a mighty God. I don't want us to understand this, this word, mighty God, is only reserved for God himself. Remember, God said, I am God and there is none other beside me. But yet Isaiah is saying, there will be a child who is born, a son who is given, and his name will be Mighty God. The only answer is that God, being in the three persons, Jesus Christ becomes incarnate for us. Jesus, when he is, during his earthly ministry, he was accused of claiming that he is equal with God. And that accusation is correct because he is co-equal with God. He is mighty God because he is God in the flesh. In the incarnation, Christ did not lose an ounce of his deity. What happened in his incarnation, how he became less, is that he took on. Jesus Christ become less because he took on human flesh. He added to himself. But he is still referred as mighty God. The Jesus Christ, even though he has human flesh, he is still deemed wonderful counselor. But Isaiah gives us another one, a third one. Notice he says, everlasting father. 
Now, church, I want us to understand that there are many people who argue over this, that this cannot be Jesus Christ because it says Father. But this word Father does not relate to identity within the Trinity, but this Father relates to identity in relationship with time. Because we see here that Jesus is of the same essence as the Father. That Jesus was begotten, not made. There are some religions that claim that Jesus Christ was created by God the Father. But Jesus Christ was not created by God the Father. Jesus Christ is co-equal with the Father and with the Spirit. They make up one God, three persons in one. They are co-equal. They share that same essence. They are not separated by any amount of degree. They are equal. And so when we see that he is the everlasting father, we see that he was before time. If you will, turn with me to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we see that John reveals how this is. In just the first few verses here, John records, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, if we just stop their church, then those who would claim that Jesus Christ was a created being would be accurate. But notice, John does not stop that the Word was with God, but he goes on by saying, The Word was God. Jesus Christ is not a lesser being in the Trinity. That when Christ became incarnate, it was not that he drew the short straw and he was the one who had to be forced to go sacrifice and die on our behalf. No, they are co-equal. That the plan of the cross was planned by all parts of the Trinity. That when Christ came, he came willfully. He did not come because he was forced to, but he came willingly on our behalf. But notice, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. But notice, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus Christ being from eternity past, not created with creation, but from eternity past, has come to our world that he has created. That we, because of the sin and the fallenness of man, have corrupted. Christ has come to redeem us. To buy us back out of the bondage of sin. To remove the guilt of our fallenness. This is who Christ is. And we see this back in our text in Isaiah. Because he is a son, a child born and a son given. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. But notice lastly in this descriptive name of Jesus Christ. He's the prince of peace. The church... We don't have to go long to see that the world's idea of peace is in stark contrast with what God describes as peace. 
when we see that he is the Prince of Peace, he offers peace in all areas of our life. But I want us to understand that focus on one primary way that he offers peace. If you can, will you turn with me to Romans? In Romans chapter 5, we see how Jesus works as this Prince of Peace. Notice what Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 1. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And notice how we have peace with God. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. We as fallen people... We as sinners cannot attain this peace with God. We cannot come to peace with God on our own standards. We cannot come to peace with God by our own ability, but it must be through faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's only by faith alone that men are saved. This has been the reality from all time. That even when Adam fell... He was still justified by faith. We see Abraham, and Paul even makes note of this, that Abraham was made right with God by faith. Because it is faith that brings us peace with God. But Jesus says he offers peace, not that the world offers, but the peace that God offers. He is our prince of peace. He is... The mighty God that brings us peace. And just to let you guys know that there is not a difference between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. They are the same God. God sows mercy in spite of our failures. He is the Prince of Peace. But notice in our text that there's another way that Jesus is identified by. In verse 6, I want us to understand, in verse 6, we see his first coming. We see that he is a child born, and we see that when we read in Luke and in Matthew, how Jesus Christ was born, and other prophecies that relates to him. But in verse 7, we see a future promise. So read with me one more time. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The second mark that identifies as Christ as Savior is his future reign. His future action as king. There is certainly some aspect that Christ is reigning as king now. But we understand that the Bible plainly teaches that one day Jesus Christ will set up a throne in Jerusalem. That one day Christ will reign as king over the earth. We understand this and we believe this, but I want us to understand exactly what Isaiah is seeing here. We see that of his increase of his government and peace. The world's idea of increasing 
their kingdom is by warfare. The way the world increases its border is by slaughter. But Isaiah sees that the Prince of Peace increases his kingdom and his government by peace. That the way that the kingdom of heaven is increased is by being peaceful. Again, we see that everything the world perceives as right is made abundantly clear that is not the way it happens in the economy of God. That the way that God order every, orders everything in the world is not the way that man does it. Of, his, of the increase of his government and peace. And notice, there will be no end. Kingdoms rises and fall. We see in Daniel, we see this, this very ecliptic image of an idol. And this idol represents all the empires of the world. But this idol is destroyed by a mountain. And that mountain is representative of the kingdom of God. Nothing can evade the kingdom of God and overthrow the kingdom of God. And church, I want us to understand that because we are believers today, we have that luxury. That in Christ, nothing can overthrow Christ in our lives. Nothing can make us unlovable to Christ. That there is not one way that God will reject us if we are believers in him. Because if we are believers in Christ, we are already settled with him. Upon the throne of David... Scriptures makes it very, very clear that as time goes on, more revelation is given. We see with Adam and Eve that through Eve, someone will come to crush the head of the serpent. We continue on. Abraham, through your seed, there will come a Messiah. I'll fast forward a little bit longer. Judah, from Judah, there will come a Savior. David, David, one day I will bring a king who will sit on your throne and his kingdom will never come to an end because it all goes to Jesus Christ. We read the lineage of Christ in Luke and in Matthew and we see it's tied to King David because we see that Jesus Christ has a legal right to the throne of David. And he will set up his kingdom on the throne of David. We continue on. Notice how Jesus orders his kingdom. He orders it and establishes it with judgment and justice. This is the way Christ operates. Christ is just. We spend a lot of time on mercy as we should, but he also is just and he brings judgment. But as believers today, our judgment has already been cleared because Christ took that judgment upon himself. And because we are believers in Christ, 
God sees us as Christ in his righteousness, not as our sinful state, but he sees us as Jesus Christ. From that time forward, even forever. But notice, lastly, that Isaiah sees here who performs this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The bringing of Messiah was not dependent on Israel or her actions. The second coming of Jesus Christ is not dependent on whether you and I bring it in. The setup of the kingdom is dependent solely on Jesus Christ. The bringing of the kingdom of God on earth is only through the promises that God has given. And we see here in this text that verse 7 is a reality because verse 6 was, has already been fulfilled. That a child is born. In eight days, we celebrate that child who was born. Unto us a son is given. In eight days... We'll wake up and we'll worship the birth of a Savior. Because at the end of the day, Christmas is truly about Jesus Christ. And that God in his infinite wisdom and power has given us a son on Christmas Day for our redemption. We speak often how that is the greatest gift, and that truly is. That when we wake up on Christmas morning, we should be rejoicing because a child was born and a son was given. Just to briefly review real fast before we conclude here this morning, that there are two marks that identify the Savior. First, we see in the first identifiable mark, the Savior is how he is described. And the second mark that identifies the Savior is how he will rule. This morning, we've seen this in the text. And we see that Christ was given for us. Because if our greatest need had been information, God would have given us an educator. That if our greatest need was technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent a Savior. May we rejoice this morning that God has sent us a Savior. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we thank you so much that you have given us, that you have given us your son. And Father, briefly as we close here, if there is anyone who does not